Welcome to the Geek Teak Podcast, where BJ is a burnout superhero. I'm Void. I'm here with my co-host, Beej. That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought yeah, so. Okay. Today we're talking about uh, superhero burnout, because both of us are kind of feeling it lately. And I just watched Captain Marvel this weekend. That was kind of one of the reasons that this came up, is like, you watched Captain Marvel last weekend, and I took my kids mm-hmm. to watch it this weekend. And... I liked it and it was fun, but like in general, I think you and I are both feeling superhero burnout, but in different ways. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, like I go through phases with the Marvel movies where I'm just like, I don't want to hear about Marvel at all right now. Like, but but then like right now I'm watching all of the movies. We're watching them straight through. So I don't feel like that really at all toward them right now. But it's with TV shows. Oh, my goodness. I just don't care. It's uh, I don't remember. I was talking to you about it. I think it was you earlier where I was texting about the uh, Star Wars TV shows that I'm afraid I'm going to get overwhelmed and burned out with the tv shows and uh, that's kind of how i feel about superhero tv it's like with all the cw stuff with the the different things on hulu and netflix and then abc that's still pushing shield it's just i i don't there's too much superhero media out there right now but but it's not so much all just the mcu movies but the dc movies i just don't care what they do at this point wonder woman 1984 is coming out and other than that i just don't care yeah i think i'm totally checked out of the dc movies but i was never really bought into them in the first place whereas like the mcu you and i both definitely like bought into which is kind of what i was thinking here because i still want to like watch endgame opening weekend you know like it's yeah there's so much that's been leading up to that it's more about what happens after that because we're going into i mean this is like the culmination of like 11 years of movies at this point and we're I definitely think it'll be 22 movies this will be the 22nd movie yeah and i think we're definitely going into a different period of the mcu and i know it'll be the next phase but like it feels like something totally different because so much led up to this and i assume that there's a bunch of heroes that aren't walking away at the end of this mm-hmm. um so i just don't know i mean we know that we have a bunch of contracts that expired and so there are going to be written at there there are superheroes who are going to be written out even if they're even if they're not killed off uh, just because we know they're not going to be in the movies so we have such a different roster coming up that the entire thing is going to feel different yeah and so it just feels like if there's ever been a point to kind of like step away or partially step away this might be it is after endgame and the thing is like i still like superhero movies i never want to skip them entirely it's more about for me anyway it's more about like do i see it in the theater or do i wait because all of the ones within the last like year and a half here they've all tied into infinity war and now endgame mm-hmm. so it's like i feel like i have to see them in theaters because i know i'm going to watch those movies right when they come out um whereas before that it was kind of optional but i was i was bought in enough that i wanted to go and see them all you know maybe not right away but before they left theaters and i wonder if i'm not going to feel that impulse anymore going forward after endgame because like i don't really have a problem waiting for movies most of the time um And there are some of them that I probably would have skipped here for Marvel in the last two years if we didn't have Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, and I'm I'm torn on that because I I don't mind waiting for video on some movies. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp is the only one I think that I haven't seen in the theater. That even when I saw it, it was, yeah, we should watch this. And it it's it was good. It's fine. I think it's gonna tie into Endgame a lot, but it it was just fine. But there are some of 
them like Captain Marvel. It's like I will go see everything that Carol Danvers is in in the theater um, where I'm kind of like you on video games. Like I want to be a part of the conversation about these movies, about movies in general when they come out where uh, where you are like, OK, I'll catch up and then I'll talk to people about it when they see it on video, too, because there's there's that separate release window there, too. Yeah, and I don't feel like that about most movies. I mean, Star Wars and Marvel have been my exceptions. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And the, the other thing that's complicating it for me is that, like, I my kids are finally old enough to start seeing these movies in theaters. So, like, I've been there for the whole MCU up to now, but my kids have barely watched any MCU movies. Like, I've tried a couple times, and they were interested, but either they weren't old enough to, like, sit through it, or they weren't old enough to really, like, get their heads around it. Um, and then there were a couple I tried that, like, I mean, they're PG-13, but they're much mm-hmm. better about using PG-13 and making it more, like, family-friendly now than they were at the right. beginning. And so my daughter really wanted to watch from the beginning, so I started with Iron Man, and that was a bad idea. Like, that one is way too intense for an 8-year-old. I don't know if you like... Is it really? Like, I, I re- we rewatched it, but I've never watched it with, with a kid. Like, my, my nephew wasn't even born yet at the time, and I know he's seen it. He's 8 now, and I know he's seen it, but I honestly don't know how, how he does sitting through it or paying attention to it or anything. It's like torture and terrorists and war and, like, all of the stuff that happens before he becomes Iron Man. Like, that's way too intense for a kid, so I completely regret trying that path um i should have skipped that one but the thing is like i i hadn't thought about the early like the very very early phase one movies in such a long time and i'm so used to the ones that are coming out now that are like anyone can watch them like you know even if Mm -hmm. there's violence even if there's like something that's uh, a dramatic situation they frame it in a way that it's not too intense for a kid i mean infinity war here and endgame might be the exception but like all of the other movies are pretty acceptable to take like kids my kids age basically and um, so they were asking to go see Captain Marvel. So I took them. I mean, I wanted, you know, my daughter's begging to see like a female superhero in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And it's like the second example of that ever, really. Yep. And I'm not going to say no to that. So I was like, it's two hours. Can you guys sit through that? Is that OK? And they're like, yes, we'll do it. <laughs> and they did. And they did. Right. Yeah, they yeah. did. So. So they sat through the entire movie. Yeah, they sat through the entire movie. They did really good, and they liked it, and, you know, it wasn't too intense or too scary or anything. We got to the end, and my daughter goes, that wasn't violent. And I was just like, well, (laughs) it had a lot of violence in it, but I guess if you feel like it wasn't too violent for you, that's a good feeling. So they're just starting to be able to see these in the theater, so I feel like, if anything, that's what's going to get me to go back to the theaters is both my kids being like, let's see the next one that comes out. Yep, absolutely. I can I can totally see that because like I can't remember if it was on here that I, w- I told you I said it when I was talking about Captain Marvel or not, but or if I was talking to someone uh, just in person. But uh, somebody had said that Captain Marvel was the kind of movie that she wished she had been able to see when she was a little girl. And so that uh, that. Just somebody I'd seen uh, I was talking to said that and I can't remember who, um, but it was it was that that really took me by by just surprise because that's something you know like we've talked about before we that you and I aren't within a demographic that that needs that kind of thing it's like oh yeah there's a bunch of uh, you know straight laced white guys doing what they do and uh, we see that but it it I'm really glad that your daughter wanted to go see it because of that like that it really makes me happy that. I don't know that these movies are starting to appeal to them where even if uh, like people like us may stop 
seeing certain ones of them that they're still rolling and meaning something to people yeah and i mean you know the like the female superhero part too like i wanted my son to see that also like he's asking mm-hmm. to go too i'm like yeah of course i'll take both of you um yeah my eight-year-old nephew we took him and the boys in his class were super jealous that he got to see it over the weekend like that like he came home talking about how uh they were they were jealous of him getting to go see captain marvel and it made my wife's just heart swell uh that these like eight-year-old boys were like no i wanted to see captain marvel and uh that that's that's great when you think about in uh, when Harry Potter was released, they changed her name so that it would make boys read it. They wouldn't read something by Joe or Joanne. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's interesting to think that like every Marvel movie is somebody's first Marvel movie because yeah. that's something that's easy to lose sight of. So something I wrote down because I wanted to make sure to mention it is like every single Marvel movie is somebody's first Marvel movie. So just because we've been with it for like 22 movies or whatever you said earlier, um, you know, there are people who have been with it for zero movies that the next one is going to be their first one. There are people who Endgame yeah. is going to be the first Marvel movie they watch, which is crazy to think, Ooh, but it's boy. very true. It's true. It's hard to think of someone jumping in at that point, just because like you said, it being the culmination of it where it's, for like you said for us to look back on Endgame being the 22nd movie in a series where we're like oh my goodness are we really going to keep going after this but somebody else coming in bright eyed like I want to know what led up to that which is honestly where Jennifer and I are at right now when we decided to watch all of them again we wanted to see what led up to that so to think about somebody doing it for the first time that is neat yeah, it's, I don't know, it's it's interesting to think about. But in general, I feel like they just need to start mixing it up more. And we've started yeah. to see it in little bits and pieces. Like, there are some examples. You and I were trying to think about this over the course of the week. So, like, Into the Spider-Verse is a really good one. Um, oh, Logan, yeah, I mean, that one broke everything. Yeah, like Logan and then uh, Deadpool. Like, those are three really solid examples of ways to do things differently. It doesn't mean that I like all of them, even though I, I loved Into the Spider-Verse. And I thought Logan was really, really good. I'm not a huge fan of Deadpool, but I'm glad that they keep changing things and mixing it up and trying new things because like that's what we need and i love deadpool like it turns out like i didn't think that i was gonna like those movies as much as i do because i'm not a huge fan of the comics like they're fine but they're not something that i'm just gonna rush out and read every month i love those movies and i think logan may still be the best comic book movie that's been made that it is the most meaningful and uh but like they have so many properties that they can tell these these new kinds of stories with and they just and disney just merged with fox oh, right. so they could actually bring in the x-men and uh, start having a say in how those movies are done which will make them maybe stop where they're going right now and uh, make them feel earned again where we, we we felt like x2 was earned but right now like dark phoenix is like that's where i hit burnout it's not necessarily one of the MCU movies, but it's because it's a superhero movie that I the only way that I can see myself seeing Dark Phoenix in the theater is because my sister-in-law is a huge X-Men fan and she loves the X-Men movies. If she wanted to go see it with us, uh, that's the only way I can really I really think that Jennifer and I would go see it in the theater. It We waited until 
home to see Apocalypse, and that was a good choice. Well, and part of it is just like wanting variety in movies, too, because it feels like everything that actually gets the media budget and the marketing budget and like is a big name movie release is a superhero movie these days. And I know Mm -hmm. that's not entirely true, but it just it feels like it because there's always the next one coming and the one after that. And you have to think like that. You saying that reminded me like everything that's breaking a, a record is a superhero movie. And I remember back when The Avengers was new, like when it first came out, it was uh, I remember it being the the fall after that because it came out, I think, in what, May, maybe uh, it was the semester after The Avengers came out. And I was trying to teach uh, literature and and genre to people. And I was trying to show the value of, of genre. And I said something about science fiction and like half of my class, and and this is at a rural uh, liberal arts college, very small, and uh, like half the class just groaned when I said it. And so I just kind of stopped and I was like, did y'all see the Avengers? And it's like, yeah, I love the Avengers. I'm like, science fiction. I'm like, and then I started just naming off all of the top grossing movies at the time uh, where the only one in the top 10 that wasn't science fiction was Titanic. And it's like, if you like these movies, you like science fiction. And so it's kind of like uh, that that people who uh, see these movies are uh, like, there are all sorts of different kinds of stories that they can tell with this. And they're doing it in a way that is introducing people to a genre that they might not know that they like because of that, because they're so mainstream. Well, and part of the thing here, too, is that like we are feeling burnout in Again, different ways. I think I'm feeling it more than you are in some ways, but that doesn't mean that the movies are going to stop because, like, these movies are making a ton of money and they keep breaking records. So much money. It feels like not every single one is breaking records, but like every other one is breaking a new record or a record that the one before it just broke or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, they're just demolishing the box office. So, there's no financial incentive to slow down, so I don't think that they will. Nope. It's just that, like, on a personal level, I'm starting to, like, feel it. Like, oh, do I really want to see the next one in theaters? I could just wait, right? Like, I could just wait a while and then catch up on them. And it really depends on what the next slate of them looks like after this. Yeah, let's this, talk cause... about that a little bit. Okay, so I know that the next one after this is Far From Home. The Spider-Man Far From Home. Yep. And I am absolutely stoked for this. Like, you know, I love me some Spider-Man, and I'm going to see this day one, like the 7 o'clock show the night before it comes out. Like, I'm absolutely going to be there for it. Um, I'm not sure what the actual release schedule is after that. Did you look it up? I think that the next two are Black Panther 2 and Doctor Strange 2. I just don't know if they have dates on them yet, and I know they don't have names. That's for sure. They're kind of waiting until like after Endgame before they do the next big release of like, here's what's coming up, I think. Um, Yeah. But the, yeah, Spider-Man is one that I definitely want to see in theaters because I liked the first one a lot and I didn't see it in theaters. And now I kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to see the next one. Um, But then also when we were seeing Captain Marvel, they had the trailers in front of it were Endgame, um, Dark Phoenix and Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. And we watched the first two and like, you know, my kids watch them like no reactions at all. And then the Spider-Man one came up and my daughter leans over to me halfway through it and goes, I want to see this one. so she really wants to see spider-man and i was like okay well let's watch the first one together at home and then we can see this one in theaters and she was like yes that's awesome so like again my kids are gonna be the ones who 
drag me to these movies from now on i'm not gonna fight hard i mean i like a good sci-fi or like superhero movie but it's just interesting that i can already see that happening and that makes me really happy too that she was the one doing that because our friend uh has a i think she's 13 now Uh, she's either 12 or 13 but i think she's 13 now and she is all in on spider-man that she came as as spider-man for halloween last year uh she we meant to take her to see into the spider verse but she actually got to go with her family i think and that uh because they have four kids there are six of them so getting to the movie is a is kind of a a journey for them to take and um she is the one that's all in on spider-man and her dad likes it like he likes the mc movie and they're sharing those but it's spider-man in particular so it makes me happy that your daughter is the same way uh to see the spider-man movies and i'm just excited for jake gyllenhaal as uh as mysterio like I, I'm I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I just like the new iteration of Peter Parker. It's like the the one that I've liked the most ever out of all of the different like actors, and you know Tom Holland is just killing it as Peter Parker. So and I didn't that's know I that I didn't know he was British for a long time. That he he's English and he has a a, a fairly typical standard uh, British accent, and you can never tell when he's acting in something that he actually has a specifically Queen's accent that he's worked on for Spider-Man for that. Like all of that is put on. And I was like, my goodness, this guy is a better actor than, than almost anybody that I've seen because you can't, it's hard to pull that off. Yeah. It's, he does a really good job of it though. He's such a good Spider-Man. He Um, is. Cool. Well, I mean, that's kind of like the main thing I want to talk about tonight for Superhero Burnout. But before we jump off the topic, just as like a side tangent, I'm worried about Star Wars fatigue after episode nine. Um, And I know that you again, this is one of those things where you and I are both feeling it in different ways because you're already there with like the expanded universe and all the extra media that's not a main movie. But like, I think Solo kind of. I don't want to say it poisoned the well for me because I know myself and I know I'm going to see every Star Wars movie. It's more about my attitude going into it and how excited I am for it and how much hype I let myself build because really I want Star Wars movies to be a grand space opera like they've always been. I don't really want the movies to become a single character piece like Solo was and I don't really want them to dive in super granularly and tell like small stories the thing is i love those stories in the star wars universe i just don't want them in movie form i would love them as tv shows as novels as whatever audiobooks podcasts like you know video games video games are one of the coolest places for star wars to be because they can get weird in really fun ways and they can tell lots of interesting stories and like i'm all here for all of that but star wars feels like it should be few and far between and everyone should be just like a spectacle and i'm i love the movies like i i'm i'm getting to the point where i'm i don't even know how to phrase this let me think on how to say this well like talking to you about them you seem a lot less interested and willing to put time into like the novels and the shows and like everything that's not a movie even though you're still excited about the movies themselves and part of it is because they're so hit and miss is that uh, that investing the time in that stuff is is not always a good investment of that time. And so I've been burned a little bit too much by just having meh media with it. And 
the comics are, are one thing, but, but generally it happens with novels that they just come out at such a pace that I don't want to read nothing but Star Wars novels uh, when they're just kind of eh. But it's like the TV shows, like I've not seen an episode of Resistance and it's been out for a while now. And with Disney Plus, I'm afraid that there's going to be multiple Star Wars shows on and I'm not going to want to keep up with them. I look forward to the Mandalorian uh, because I like the idea of it in the setting, but I have no idea how many more they're going to be doing. And the same for super superhero movies like or superhero TV shows. They've announced that there's a Loki prequel where Tom Hiddleston is doing the voiceover, but they're having a different actor. There are rumors of the uh, uh, was it Daughters of the Dragon Maybe getting uh, picked up with uh, uh, Misty Knight and Colleen from uh, Iron Fist. And so it's like stuff like that, just having so many of them rolling at one time. That's what I'm worried about is Disney Plus, as much as I'm looking forward to it, kind of making me be like, oh, my God, there's even more of it. Well, I'm excited for them to take the hands off the reins a little bit. I think that's part of what's different than what it used to be before Disney owned it is like George Lucas, as much as he had like, you know, a full grasp on the movies and wouldn't let anything in the movies happen outside of exactly what he wanted. And we can argue whether or not that's a good thing. I don't want to do that part right now. But everything outside of the movies was like it would run through Lucasfilm and like, you know, he'd have to like tentatively approve stuff. But you could tell that these creators had so much more freedom than they do now. Yeah, they could make Star Wars weird. And that's some of my favorite Star Wars stuff Mm -hmm. is like, you know, like KOTOR, like we it doesn't feel like if if KOTOR didn't exist, Knights of the Old Republic, right? Like Old Republic setting. If that didn't exist before, I guess I should explain if you don't know what it is and you're listening, Old Republic setting is like a thousand years before the events of the movies. I think it's 10,000. 10,000. It's really, really far before. Um, so far back that it never has to interact with the movies directly at it, all. It will never interact with them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like 10,000 years. Yeah, and it feels like that setting would never exist under Disney unless it had already existed before. Like, I still think yep. we might get that because it's part of the old lore, but it doesn't feel like if... It's something that if it didn't already exist, Disney would never approve something like that. No. You know, whereas like those are some really cool Star Wars stories. And there's some of my favorite Star Wars stories, too. And not just from the games. I mean, Knights of the Republic is fantastic. But I mean, even the comics, even the comics, the Old Republic were uh, no, I guess it was Knights of the Old Republic. That was the comic, uh, the title of it. Like, it was great. Star Wars Legacy was super weird and went in great places. Um, the Force Unleashed, stuff like that. Like, you're right. The uh, the way Disney does it now, they t- keep such a tight leash on everything. Like, they let Chuck, w- Chuck Wendig go uh, because of some tweets that he did. And... Uh, well, he won't be writing anymore for them. Uh, I have a friend who did some editing on a Frozen comic, and she said she will not work for Disney again because they're so micromanagey. Like it's, uh, it's just uh, I can't even imagine working, trying to be creative and doing anything outside of a very narrow line that they have. Yeah, and like, some of my favorite Star Wars stuff ever was from the novels that were like. A generation ahead of all of the movies so it's kind yes. of like the generation that exists now that's like ray and finn and poe like the, that age of people um that were raised you know after luke leia han 
And what they did with those in the books, in the old continuity, not the current continuity, um, it got it got weird and it got interesting. They did a lot of cool things with the Force and the opposite of the Force or the absence of the Force. And then mm-hmm. um, twin Jedi and then one of them goes bad and one of them stays good. And like those are some of my favorite stories. And again, I feel like it's something that we're just not going to get in the same way. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope that Disney like kind of lets more creators do their own thing. Um, so... And just to tie it back to the main topic, like that's what I want them to do with superheroes too. Like I want them to give more creative control to more diverse creators so that we get some like weird stuff. That and you're right, that may be where the TV comes in, where they've done they've actually done a little bit more of that with experimentation on the Netflix show. So maybe we will get that on Disney Plus. It's just that I'm gonna have to be I'm going to have to be told about it probably first. I'll watch a little bit, uh, depending. Um depending on what else is going on at that point and what we hear, because it's it's hard to keep up with everything. It is. It's, it's hard to find time in the day to do all the things that you want to do. It's hard, even just superhero stuff. If you were trying to keep up with every bit of superhero media that was put out right now, you would basically be doing it as more than a full-time job. Uh, I don't know if I completely... Well, I mean, I guess with the comics, hmm, maybe... Maybe that's true, actually, now that I think about it. Um, okay, cool. Anyway, this was interesting to talk about, so I'm <laughs> glad that we did. Uh, before we dive into Weekly Geekery, why don't you tell the nice people about Patreon? So just briefly, you guys, we have a Patreon, and we would love for you to support us. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash geek2geekcast and throw a dollar our way if uh, you like the podcast. So uh, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, there you go. Um, on the network this week, Geekitude, I've seen the x-rays, and Joe's healing. He's less robot than expected. <laughs> But he's healing, which is good. So, again, we'll count that as a win. Um, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea this week. They talked about romantic movie tropes, which was super interesting for me because I just watched uh it wasn't even a rom-com it was crazy rich asians over the weekend which is just a romance movie so that was really interesting to hear all of these like romantic tropes reflected back at me and i was like i've seen enough rom-coms i know these um and then of course capsule j streaming tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m eastern and sometimes on thursdays and weekends and troidal streaming on thursdays and sometimes randomly after dinner also okay with that said uh let's dive into our weekly geekery for the week You've been playing an old game. I have. Like, I've, I started playing Wild Arms this week. I think last week I'd mentioned that I was playing Chrono Cross, right? And and we were talking about it being kind of slow, that you had ended up uh, not being able to go back to it uh, because of the combat being so slow and uh, kind of plodding. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I kind of hit that point in it. Like, I got about 12 hours into it, maybe wow, 15. that's farther than I got and, uh, last time and, I tried it anyway. Uh, like, I really like the story. Like, I really, really like it. And I like the battle system where you put everything together and you have one-use spells that you can use and uh, you keep adding to your arsenal over the course of the game. Like, I really like the system, but uh, because it's a PlayStation 1 game, it's very, very slow. Like, they, they, they kind of move slow in the 3D on PlayStation 1. And so I've just kind of, like not burned out on that one but i'm just like i'm taking a break from it because i was like i just haven't been in the mood for it and i've been but i've been in the mood for retro games and so i started playing wild arms uh which was one of my absolute favorite rpgs uh back when it came out which turns out to be 22 years ago um it was right uh right before final fantasy 7 came out i believe and it got kind of looked over at the time uh because of final fantasy 7 and now looking back like it is a 
brilliant game for the way that they did it that it holds up way better than most of the uh, retro games that I've played. Most of the old RPGs that you go back to, you can really feel that they're uh, they're a product of their time and that they led to where we have really awesome RPGs right now. And this one doesn't necessarily feel like that because it's got an overworld that is 2D uh, Zelda-like puzzles uh, where you have three different characters that you can switch between that have different tools that you can use to solve those puzzles. So like one of them has bombs, one of them has a thing that can open up uh, magically sealed doors or reset puzzles, one of them has a a little mouse that runs out and uh, can grab something or hit a switch from a distance and stuff like that. So you're solving like Zelda style puzzles with tools, um, but then there are random enemies where you fight them and that's where it gets a little slow. The combat is turn-based, but because it's in 3D, it was one of the first RPGs that ever had full 3D battles. Uh, because of that, it uh, it has that PlayStation 1 slowness. Uh, but I'm loving this. Like, I... I feel so nostalgic playing it, but it's not nostalgia that's making me love it. It's like I remember the feel of this game, and it's just good that uh, with the Vita, when you play a PS1 classic, it uh, automatically includes bilinear filtering on it, where you can uh, where it smooths out a lot of the uh, the jaggies that it anti-aliases more, and it is beautiful. This game is that uh, I am terribly impressed by the uh, by the quality of the graphics on the 2D and the sprites that they use. That's cool. That's one of those games that I always knew about and I always kind of like I don't know. I I never it never crossed my path in the right way for me to actually play it. Like I've never played right. a minute of that game, but I know it. I've heard about it. I've heard people talk about it. I just like you started texting me about it and in my mind it was a totally different game and I don't know why but I started looking at it and I was like oh this isn't what I thought or where I had like mentally compartmentalized it so that's one that at some point I might have to try I don't think it's one uh, let's just say that early PS1 games don't age super well I don't think it's something that I'm gonna like play through but at some point I'd like to give it a shot that's why I'm actually really surprised that I think I'm gonna be able to stick with this one because early PS1 games aren't something that are really easy to stick through, especially when you've got like a 30, 35 hour or more RPG. But I really think that the uh, the puzzles and dungeon crawling may actually keep me in on this one. Uh, Interesting. Because it hits, that, it hits that balance between it being really like complex in terms of, of cool puzzles and things like that that you have to figure out. But it's a simple battle system where uh, you don't have to worry too much about customizing every little thing on your characters too so they they hit a really good place with it and i'm i'm kind of amazed it's 22 years old but uh i've got wild arms 2 ready after this one it's a ps1 classic that i grabbed a long time ago for cheap for like three bucks uh i have wild arms 3 on the playstation 4 because it's the same way they did and uh, there's a strategy rpg that's actually not that bad that i'll play whenever i want to swap classes around a bunch on the uh, vita called wild arms xf Wow, and they're ready to go. There's four. There are four and five. I didn't know until I started playing this one that there is Wild Arms four and five that came out on the PS2 that I had never seen before. I had no idea that that the series was that that big. <laughs> Plenty to dig into if you're ready to. Yeah, but I'm really really enjoying that one. I've also been actually playing with RPG Maker more. Um, uh, you know that first uh, game that uh, that I talked about that really uh, really crappy one. Um, 
that one got me really excited and I talked to Austin about it. And so while RPG Maker was on sale, I convinced him to buy it on uh, on Steam when it was 20 bucks. And uh, we decided that we're actually working together to, to learn this and put together a Stratus RPG. Uh, we had written uh, steampunk novels together called uh, one of them was Nimbus, and it did really, really well. I'm going to toot my own horn. Uh, we spent uh, uh, quite a few weeks at number one on Amazon as being the number one steampunk book uh, that sold. Uh, I remember that. It was, that was pretty sweet. It was. I, I was so happy. Like I'm still proud of that one. You should and, be. Uh, so we wrote a sequel to it, but we never actually finished it. We only put out one part, and we wrote the second one, and, and haven't put it out yet in like five years. But we decided to actually tell this story uh, in an RPG because that's pretty much what all that we both play are JRPGs these days. And so we we really have. We know that we can tell a good story, and we're smart enough to be able to uh, figure out how to put a use a piece of software like this and make it feel a little bit different. So we uh, we're really excited. We've been playing around with it for a couple of weeks now, and uh, are are really really digging in on it. So I can't wait to be able to to put out like a demo of get get everything together enough that uh, that we can do more with it but i am i'm stoked about being able to work with austin again on a uh, creative project because we had such a good time doing nimbus and stratus initially dude that's super cool yep so i'm excited about that and then i finally played bloodstained curse of the moon that you told me about this so many so long ago that it was the first castlevania game that you had ever beaten yeah, right i like that game it is so hard um what? I, or i Okay, it's not so hard. Let me put it that way. I'm bad at this game. Okay. Um, I am, uh, because I was just, I, I turned it on. I haven't played a lot of it yet. Um, and I also can never remember the name of it, because when I typed in the uh, the, the name uh, in the notes here, I put Circle of the Moon, and I knew that wasn't right, but that's because Circle of the Moon is a Castlevania game, and this one is Curse of the Moon. And I'm like, guys, seriously. But it was on sale on Switch for like $6 this weekend, and so I grabbed it. Actually, it was $10, and I think I had... I don't know. I paid four dollars total for it with the Nintendo points I had, so I was like, "That's totally worth it." Okay, yeah, there um, you go. It is a great game. Uh, it's absolutely Castlevania. Like from the moment you start, it feels like Castlevania. Um, but like you had said before, it feels like Castlevania getting the Shovel Knight treatment. And um, the only real beef with it that I have so far from what I've played is that because I'm bad at it, uh, when I die, when it's a win, not if, it goes back further in the level than I want it to. Like you go through multiple scenes and, and go through multiple doors and things like that, and then it sends you back to the beginning of all of that instead of there being a checkpoint and so the boss bosses kill me and send me further back than i want okay but other than i don't that, remember like, that but i also i'm not okay not trying to humble brag but like i don't think i died during the levels like at all i remember dying to the bosses for sure um and i don't remember well, the I did, it save. was the it was the bosses that got oh, okay. me okay that, that it would send me back to the beginning of that area whenever I would fight the boss and uh, then it was like I don't want to do all this level again and okay, so I fair. just stopped playing uh, but other than that like it's a great game like I am I can totally see why people loved this game and love it and I'm so buying uh, Ritual of the Night when it comes out. Yeah, I... Uh, that's the main one. Uh, bl- that's the main Bloodstained game. If you guys haven't uh, listened or looked at it, it's like Symphony of the, Ni- Symphony of the Night, only uh, only uh, not Castlevania. Yeah, I mean, that's this game basically sold me on that game, too. I think I had the exact same like arc as you did right there. Where I was like, oh, if this yeah. is that good, then the main game's going to be even better. Yeah, this is like a Kickstarter, like, 
pledge back like a stretch goal kind of thing that they said they would put out uh, way ahead of the game and uh, they if they can do that this high quality then i will definitely be picking up the main game cool well i played uh, a bunch of sekiro shadows die twice this week which i'll talk about here in a second but it's is it's a hard game and it's not a game that i could play for like hours on end i did a couple times but i i can't like settle in for like four hours or six hours or eight hours Mm. with this game not that i do that that often but you know um it was a big new game i wanted to play it and like it doesn't lend itself well to that because you should really step away and come back to it because you hit a lot of walls and there's a lot of just like i'll talk about that stuff in a second but because of that um i actually ended up watching a bunch more movies this weekend which still you know is just not like what i do normally so um i'll fly through a couple of these i finished it it was movies and shows i guess um i finished love death and robots on netflix and it was really good um i still highly recommend it you know like i said there's still some male gazy problems but i actually found them more confined to the first half than the second half so there was a lot less of that in the other ones and every one is like by a different creator and creative team so it's all dependent on which one you're watching um there's a lot of really good sci-fi shorts in there and they're all sci-fi and i forgot how much i love short fiction and i until i find a good anthology that like reminds me how much i like it and this is just an anthology that (laughs) it totally knocked out of the park for me um i also found out that scalzi wrote two of my favorite episodes in here he wrote three episodes yeah one of them i thought was okay but two of them were really good the when the yogurt took over which is one of his short stories it got adapted for this and awesome you've read that one right no i haven't oh okay i thought you had um it's in one of his short story collections but yeah it got adapted for this episode basically um and then he also wrote three robots which was one of my favorite ones too that one's near the beginning so um and he did the one called alternate histories that i thought was okay but he wrote like three of them which was super cool to find out that's really fantastic that i'm i love his tv stuff because he did stargate universe and i'm one of the five people who adored star stargate universe so i i think that i will probably love those as well yeah and so i watched a bunch of movies also like i said i went to captain marvel uh, i liked it a lot i took the kids which was the best part honestly um but besides that like brie larson was really good goose the cat was super fun uh, mm. Young Nick Fury was interesting, and I really loved the 90s aspect of the whole movie because that's basically my childhood. Like, that's the childhood I remember, right. even though I'm technically an 80s kid from when I was born. But, you know, 90s is like my memory of childhood. So, mm-hmm seeing her like crash through the blockbuster video and then all of the technology at the time with pagers and you know like the payphone and it it was all of these subtle little things and there's no cell phones you know all that kind of stuff and it just made me excited to see more movies take on the 90s as an actual setting instead of a gimmick and just have it as a setting because it's reminiscent of childhood for me and it feels like we're finally there that enough creators who have their childhood set in the 80s are making stuff, you know, like the Stranger Things type of things. Yep. Um, it feels like the 90s aren't that far away as we kind of age up and people who are creators that are our age become more and more people in power that can approve this type of thing. I'm curious how Dark Phoenix is going to handle it because it is a movie that's set in the 90s as well because they go decade by decade with the new X-Men movies. Oh, I didn't realize this one that. Is, this one is a 90s movie because whatever the last one was, I guess it was Apocalypse, uh, was set in the 80s because the first one was 60s, uh, First Class was 60s, uh, Days of Future Past was 70s apocalypse is 80s and this one's going to be 90s so i wonder how they're going to hit those same notes uh if they're going to hit any of the same notes as captain marvel did cool 
Um, and then I watched a couple other things that I don't have a whole lot to say about, but uh, I watched Mission Impossible Fallout, which was, it was like a fun enough action movie. It's a solid action movie. If you're in the mood for a Mission Impossible movie, it's like exactly what you expect it to be, which if you're in the right mood, that's totally fine. And I was. Um, Crazy Rich Asians, it was a really good romance movie that I liked a lot. And it was cool to see other cultures represented on screen because we don't see that enough. Um, I, I'm all for more of that. And then I watched the Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is a Mr. Rogers doc documentary it was really really good um i had it sitting there unwatched for like months because i thought it was gonna be a tearjerker and i was gonna be like super sad and depressed walking out of it but it was really a documentary about his philosophy behind why he did what he did and his approach to tv so as a student of media the way that i am i just found it super fascinating and it wasn't sad so that was okay it was surprising but i was glad that it was that way that that kind of makes me want to watch it more because it's been on our list for the exact same reasons and uh well, it's been on our shelf for the exact same reasons, I guess I should say. It's like we want to watch it, but we've never wanted to be hit in the feels that much. It's like we never wanted something that, that's not even heavy, but meaningful, that we haven't wanted to uh, to open ourselves up and be that vulnerable for a while. Yeah, and they could have made that in a way that hits you over the head with it, and they don't. I mean, there's a couple parts where there's maybe a little bit, but it's not at all right. what I thought it was going to be. Oh, of course, you can't do Mr. Rogers and not have a, a, like an emotionally resonant uh, undertone at the very least. Yeah, so that was super interesting. I highly recommend that if you ever watched Mr. Rogers as a child, which is like most people, I'm assuming, out there. Um, I'm assuming. And then I played a game called Baba Is You this week, which have you heard <laughs> about this? I've heard so many people talking about Baba Is You this week. Okay, it's... Uh, I'm not good at it. I kind of gave up on it because it's really hard, but it's so interesting that I can't not talk about it. And I feel like I've heard it all over the internet this week, so I'm not going to like beat a horse to death or beat a dead horse or one of those things. I'm not going to hurt any horses. Um, Baba is You is basically a puzzle game where you can move and you can push things, but there's a bunch of words on the screen that take up like one block each. If you just think about like a grid of blocks and it'll say something like baba is you and these are things that control the rules of that level so if you have i think i wrote down an example here so i could actually try to explain it a little bit if you have the rules baba is you wall is stop and flag is win then what that means is that you are controlling baba which is like a sheep that moves around walls will stop you if you try to walk through them or touch them and if you get to the flag you win and the thing is you can move these blocks around so like if you push flag out of the way and you put wall there so it says wall is win and then you go up and you touch a wall you're going to win the level and that's like the basic core conceit of the entire game is that you can rearrange Hmm. these rules to change things so you can change it so instead of saying there was one level where there was like a giant river of lava and i changed it from um baba is you to lava is you and then i controlled the lava and i moved the lava over to the flag and i won the game or i won the level oh my that sounds awesome it's really really cool and whenever you find the solution you feel so smart and it's so interesting because you feel like you're breaking the rules of the game the thing is it's really hard it's like a really really hard game so i bet if you like puzzle games and you like logic puzzles and you have enough of that kind of like programmer brain which is why it appealed to me you know i've done enough development um it's a really good game in that genre i just i didn't make it very far so your mileage may vary there how much 
is it? Because I know that it's an indie game. Uh, and I've seen it around, but I didn't know how much it was. Is it like a $30 indie game or is it one of the like 15 to $20 ones? It's like 15, 15-ish. Is it? Yeah, and it's on Switch and it's on PC and I don't know if it's other places, but I know it's on those two for sure. Awesome, because that sounds that sounds like something I would want to pick up and see if Jennifer wanted to play. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And at the very least, like the first 10 levels, most people should be able to get through. So you can see what it has to offer, even if you don't make it super far in the game. Oh, that just sounds so it sounds so weird and fun. And like, I know it would break my brain. Like, I know some of these later levels would absolutely break my brain. Yeah, it's it's cool, though. It's definitely worth even if it's not something that sounds like you would want to play it and you're listening, uh, maybe go watch a stream or like a quick video of it just to kind of see what it's doing, because it's something that I've never quite seen before. Well, looking it up right now, it looks I see exactly what you mean. Yep. Y'all go look at it. It's cool. Yeah, so Baba is you. Um, the other game I played, like I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. And it's hard, but I'm enjoying it a lot. So it's the newest game from from Software, which, you know, they're the developers of Demon Souls and Dark Souls and Bloodborne. And it's definitely like that lineage leads up to this game. Um, it's worth saying that they also are the developer behind like Tenchu and Armored Core. So they haven't always had like totally brutal games, but... Um, I didn't know they did Tenchu. Yeah, yeah, it's the same developer. Oh, I loved me some Tenchu. Okay, oh, all of them. Oh, man, I loved Tenchu when so I was young. Let me pitch this game to you a different way. Instead of thinking about this as the next evolution of Dark Souls and Bloodborne, think about this as a Tenchu game brought up to modern standards with a dash of Dark Souls thrown into it. Because huh. that's what this game is. Like this That is, sounds far more appealing. This is straight up the legacy of Tenchu. That is what Sekiro is. And it has Dark Souls elements in it, but it feels like a ninja game. It does not feel like those other games felt because okay. I think I've talked to you before about like I've always wanted to get into those, but I always felt like I was fighting the controls and not the mm -hmm. enemies, right? That's always been my complaint with these games is the controls suck. I don't have enough control of my characters. It's not responsive enough. I feel like I'm fighting against the controller, not that I'm fighting against whatever the enemy is. And right. this is the first game of theirs that i don't feel like that i feel like i have such great control of the character it's extremely responsive and the enemies are just hard which is why it hooked me um we'll see how long i stay with it because it is really hard but just so you guys know how, how far i am and it's you can't really talk about hours for these games like i would be able to with most games because you can get stuck in one place for hours and hours just depending <laughs> on your skill level right. um but i've beaten the first obvious boss there's like a a straight up boss that's different from the mini bosses but i've beaten a few mini bosses along the way i have uh three of the shinobi tools and i'm on the second obvious boss who i probably shouldn't say that that's a spoiler if you're trying to stay spoiler free but i'm on the okay. second like obvious boss um what do you mean by obvious boss having are... not played it i am so confused by that term okay you will run into things and you're like whoa this guy is super hard this is a boss and then you'll get farther along and then you'll go oh no that was a mini boss this is the actual boss oh okay yeah uh, so there's I a see. lot of like mini bosses there the first ones you run into are like generals um in the game but then you get farther along and then you're like oh this is a real boss like this is where the actual challenge is i thought that was a challenge that wasn't a challenge that was like nothing compared to this so I that's gotcha. what I mean. Um, it has really fast combat, though. Parrying is so key in this game. It's so important. Um, when you have a good fight, it 
like a fight where you don't just instantly mess up and get annihilated it is the closest game that i've ever seen or experienced to a samurai film where you see people just like swing blades super fast like you can't even keep up with how fast it is and then somebody ends up dead at the end of that exchange Hmm. and it's like one swipe of a blade at the right time can end it all but when you and the enemy are both good at parrying and exchanging like these sword blows just feels amazing. It feels fantastic. And so to do this, they have this thing called the posture meter, which there's no real stamina in this game, but posture is like the closest thing to stamina that you can get um, or the equivalent. Like it's a good thing to kind of like pair the two up in your mind. So posture is a meter. And if you block attacks, your posture meter will get filled up. And if your posture meter gets filled up all the way, an enemy can do a death blow on you. And the same thing goes the other way. So you can wear down enemies' defenses. Um, So for you, if you're just sitting there holding the block button, your posture meter is just going to get filled up, and then you're going to get destroyed. So really, you have to parry. Like, you have to parry. You have to learn the timing, and if you don't, you will just lose this game. Um, On the other side of it, you have to learn the timing for how to parry because if you do parry their posture meter goes up and if you Uh can block them or dodge them or there are certain types of like um if you jump up in the air and then you like kick off of them in midair to do a dodge you know if you do that at the right time their posture meter will go up so if you fill up a boss's posture meter it'll let you do a death blow on them and on bosses it's not an instant kill on most of the like normal grunt enemies uh if you can fill up a posture meter and get a death blow it's an instant kill but for bosses they usually take a couple death blows to get uh most of the bosses i'm fighting right now take like two death blows but i'm sure that will go up over time and it's just it's so fascinating because it's like that samurai movie trope of like feeling out each other feeling out the enemy and nobody's landing a hit but you can feel the tension rising that's what the posture meter is imitating and if you get to the point where you have enough of an advantage over them you get to do that one hit death blow that you can just knock them out and it's so cool it's so cool did you ever play the old playstation one games bushido blade that square did yes a long that's time what ago. this sounds like where you ha- you didn't have a life bar or anything in the game but you uh you held your sword in different stances and uh you you were basically parrying and dodging the entire time that uh and trying to get one good hit on uh on your enemy and you could disable different parts of their uh their bodies that you had to get a death blow on them uh to do like it was based on it was it was samurai fighting generally this it, feels uh, a lot like that it's not exactly you do have a health bar but a lot of the right. time you might as well not have a health bar because of how the game <laughs> actually functions like the posture meter is what matters if you get hit a lot of the times you just die and that's kind of the way that it goes um another <laughs> example of this is one of the first skills i actually picked up which it's worth mentioning that unlike dark souls unlike like demon souls and bloodborne there's no stats in this game there's no like rpg mechanics that you have to worry about like did i build my character correctly which is something i always didn't like about those games because right. the stats didn't explain themselves very well um this game still has a skill tree but it doesn't have like oh did i put enough into strength or stamina or whatever like that's just totally removed and i think it's all for the better and um in in the skill tree like one of the very first skills i picked up is like a mirakai counter or mirakai counter i don't know how to pronounce it but it's basically for spear enemies if you so up to that point if spearman enemy was attacking me i was usually just screwed unless i could like sneak up on them or get a stealth hit or get lucky or use a bunch of my tools and like burn resources and this counter makes it so that if you stand still and wait until a spear is about to hit you with like an unbreakable attack or an unblockable attack and then you hit circle at the right time your character will 
step on the spear and shove it into the ground and then you get to do a death blow on them and nice. it, it's the coolest looking thing because it's like up to that point spears are just destroying you and suddenly you have this way that's high risk high reward that if you can time it right you can just destroy them and that is a really good encapsulation of the game right is like just wait wait for that spear to be almost in your face almost killing you and then step on it and drive it into the ground and then just kill them in one hit with your sword like so since you since you die so much with stuff like that and it's high risk versus high reward like how is there a punishment for dying like you go further back or anything like that um yes and no there's this thing called dragon rot in the game and it will affect the npcs that help you and the more you die and resurrect the more that it like spreads and infects them i don't know what that means for the greater meta narrative of the game it hasn't actually affected me and it hasn't really hurt the gameplay or made the gameplay harder um okay. i assume it's just like a story thing that's happening so not uh, really but- um then the other thing that this does is you get to resurrect once every time you die and that's different from souls games too where if you die you just die so this one um you can technically have two resurrections but you usually have to do something in between to like get the second one up and ready again so on in any one fight you can resurrect like one time generally okay and that's just i don't know it's kind of interesting like if you get knocked out you can just kind of wait a minute wait for the guy to walk away and then resurrect and then you can just like run away and go lick your wounds (laughs) if you need to um without losing any you know money or any skill points or any anything that you would lose upon death which you okay usually um if you die there's a chance that you'll lose nothing, but a lot of the time you lose half of your skill points that you gained and half of your money. And it's oh. like, it's skill points that you haven't spent and money that you haven't spent. So if you've spent it, you're fine. Like, you won't lose any of that. Okay, good. So it's like you you don't lose the abilities that you've already bought. Okay, no, good. Because no. they're like, whoa! No, it's just the point. So, you know, you're working up towards the next skill point. So if you're like, if you make it all the way to the next skill point, you won't even lose that skill point. It's more about, like, if you're 75% of the way there and then you get killed, it'll cut down to, like, half of what the meter was full, mm. that type of thing. So that's okay. the trade-off. Really is, like, if you're almost to a skill point don't take on a boss go kill a couple guys you know and then you can take (laughs) on the boss that's the kind of thing that you do planning for um and then the other thing that's different about this is that it's a stealth game like you can play a lot of it as a stealth game you can't do the bosses that way you can't do every encounter that way but there's enough stealth in here that it feels kind of like tenchu kind of like some of the assassin's creed games that i really like where if you can sneak up on people you can just kill them instantly so it it really does have a lot of those ninja qualities to it yeah i mean i remember spending so much time on tenchu one and two when i was younger like my high school like like my high school years were were spent a lot of time with me and my friends playing tenchu together so i'm not saying you should buy the game but I think what you should do is you should rewatch some of the trailers and maybe some of the gameplay videos and watch it with Tenchu in mind instead of Dark Souls in mind and tell me yeah, what you cause, think. Because I was thinking about it almost exclusively as a uh, as a samurai uh, Dark Souls game, and I have zero interest in Dark Souls. But uh, having Tenchu, this may not be an immediate buy if that's what it is. I mean, you you and I were talking before this that we have an entire episode next week uh, discussing how I play AAA games and uh, how I react to AAA games, I guess. And uh, so maybe I won't buy it immediately, but uh, if I do, it'll be a Steam refund. Uh, but <laughs> okay. it'll, it will be a uh, it will be a uh, maybe a, a 
sale game. Maybe get one when it's on sale because I did love me some Tenchu. So I fully intend to keep playing this game um, at least for another week. I'll see if I stick with it beyond that because it is hard. I don't know how far I'm going to make it, but I can say at this point, like I've put probably 15 hours into the game, maybe yeah, maybe getting close to 15. And I like it a hundred times better than I've ever liked a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne game. So like this is much more of what I was looking for. So I want more time to kind of form an opinion around it. But as you can tell, as of right now, my opinion is that this is really cool and I like what it's doing. That's awesome. Like yeah. I'm really glad that that I'm glad we had this discussion because our, even our text uh, messaging back and forth didn't convey what we what what kind of discussion we've been able to have here yeah and i don't know the last time i had an experience as cool in a video game as parrying someone who attacks me multiple times to the point where their posture bar fills up and then i kill them with a death blow like there's something so ridiculously satisfying about it because it takes such a high degree of skill and it's fast and it's cool and it's samurai and it's ninja and it's i don't know there's enough about it it checks enough boxes that i'm having a lot of fun with it that sounds awesome yeah, it is. I have one thing that I forgot about that I meant to mention on uh, during my geekery. Um, Data Error, who is uh, one of our listeners on uh, on Twitter and Slack and Discord, uh, he is awesome. He actually posted on Slack that there is a, a an official Final Fantasy IX uh, documentary that they did. It's about 23 minutes long that Square oh, yeah, posted on that. YouTube. And I haven't watched it yet, but I wanted to let everybody who's listening know that it's there. Um, it was it's something good. that it's I'm super interesting. I can Is it good? Yeah, I can back that up as a recommendation. It's worth the 20 minutes or 25 minutes of your time. Awesome. When he pointed it out, I wanted to make sure because I had uh, tweeted to Austin this morning and uh, have it just set up in a browser window for me right now to remember and I wanted to remember uh wanted to make sure that everybody out there knew that that was there so that they could watch it this week cuz it's only been out like 4 days maybe. Yep. Yeah, and it's in Japanese, so you just flip on subtitles on YouTube and yeah, it's worth your time if you like Final Fantasy. Yep. It's really good. Which cool. is actually why I haven't watched it because of having to sit and watch it instead of having it play peripherally. <laughs> but you have it queued up to do soon. I do. Okay, cool. Um, that's about it for this week. You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address, as always, is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links, and then you can check out all of the other shows and content on the network. I blog at agreenmushroom.com. You can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And uh, I blog now at the geek to geek Media site. We've been Void and Beige with your geek to geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today.
Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello, friends. This is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch.